Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 169 and a brand new season of the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join me for today's podcast session. So uh, this past month, I actually took a little bit of a break. I've been trying to take about three months of the year just to take a break from the podcast. One, just to be able to rest and focus on self-care, practice what I preach, but also just to you know, have some episodes in the bank so that I don't ever miss any weeks of episodes or anything like that. And most importantly, I am making the transition, hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, to being a dad for the first time. And so I know that fatherhood and uh, having a newborn is going to change my life quite a bit. At least that's what I've been told. I'm hoping I don't lose sleep too much, but I just wanted to make sure I had some episodes in the bank for you guys. Today's podcast session is a topic that I can't tell you the amount of emails and messages I've received from colleagues talking about this topic, which is building a practice through the loss of a loved one. My guest today is Nikki Sewell. Nikki is a licensed clinical social worker. And in today's session, we're actually just going to have an honest conversation. Just to give you a little bit of a background, Nikki and her husband, who is a psychiatrist, had dreams of starting a private practice together. And about six months in, her husband, Andrew, went in for surgery, had complications, and passed away. Nikki was 30 years old when Andrew passed away. In today's conversation, we're going to have just a a conversation about building a practice through grief and loss and some of the practical things to do and all of those different things. Um, so more specifically, we're going to cover a range of different things. One is what inspired Nikki to get into practice with her significant other? And after her husband had passed away, how did she feel the strength have the strength and the resolve to build the practice? And then how did she sort of change the vision for her practice? And then Nikki actually decided to niche down into focusing on grief and loss in her private practice. And we're going to really explore this topic of building a niche and focusing on a niche when that niche is so personal to us. Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, This is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and 
I call him Dave. Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest. And honestly, Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know. And with sponsors, you guys know I'm I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share uh, the STC audience with. And Dave, when uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people. I just I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner, uh, specifically for therapists. And his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told, it impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement and investing and all of those things. And Dave understands that. And he comes from just a very heart-centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, It's absolutely free to download, and it's called The Seven Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And that guide has a lot of the things that, that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides. So we will get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Nikki Sewell. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We were talking about this right before we started, but I feel like practices and business building that just because we're doing that doesn't mean that life, you know, stops and life and events and all of those things don't happen. Certainly. So your husband was a psychiatrist. Uh-huh, and he was. You're a social yes. worker. Yes. What inspired you guys to start a practice together? So about six years ago, uh, we had started thinking about having family. We were both working full time. He was working more than full time because he was picking up moonlighting shifts at different local hospitals. And we had thought about, you know, in the context of having children, how would that work with two people working in some cases more than full time? And so we thought that private practice would give me flexibility where I would do that three days a week. And then he would be my med backup. And that would be a bit more lucrative and a bit more flexible for him. So he wouldn't have to be picking up as many moonlighting shifts in the community. And so that was the initial inspiration for the practice. I guess the big thing I take from that is really wanting to build a career and a business around family. Yes. And having that flexibility over your hours, you're not locked into, oh, got to be at work at 830. Oh, can't leave until five o'clock, right? Or sometimes later, depending on what popped up. I've heard like nightmare stories of moonlighting, you know? Yes. What kind of hours was he working at that time? So it would be like uh, he'd have his usual nine to five and then he would moonlight from five until eight the next morning. Yeah. So it'd be an overnight shift. And he would do that, you know, depending on the month, depending on the week, sometimes once a week, sometimes once a month, you know? Um, yeah, just depended on where we were at and what we were saving for. Or yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was it hard to even like make that shift of, okay, this is something that we're doing now and something that we've gotten into a pace and used to doing to, okay, maybe we just needed like shift to private practice. For him, maybe more so than for me, because he was such a busybody and was always on the go and was just nonstop. If the man didn't have to sleep, he wouldn't. If it wasn't a requirement, he wouldn't, you know? Mm-hmm. And private practice is certainly a, a much slower pace than what he was used to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like many of us are wired this way, which is like, we're just hard workers. And uh-huh. the thought of like not cramming our schedules full of stuff, there's like, 
I don't know if it's like we have these, at least for me, I feel like a narrative I always struggle with is like, I'm being unproductive or I'm being lazy. Yes. Yes. Or if you're having a lazy Sunday, like that's somehow a bad thing. Right. And I don't know, nothing like starting your own business in a way actually to help you set those boundaries over time. Absolutely. When you guys first started the practice, what was that initial vision for the practice? So we didn't really know what we were doing. I mean, I have learned so much over the past six years and kind of often on being in private practice, uh, which we'll get to. But the general idea was that I would just kind of take anybody and everybody that walked through the door, right? And that in the case of them needing medications, then then he would be their prescriber. Mm-hmm. And again, I think I had already said that, you know, the idea was that I'd be doing it three days a week and probably making the same income that I would be making working five days a week in the hospital right. uh, where I was working before. I actually wanted to ask you about that three days a week. Um, how did you guys settle on like three days a week versus four or five or two? Or You know, honestly, I can't remember. I think that's a great question, but I, I don't remember. I think three was just kind of a, it seemed like a, a good number, I guess. The, the idea of 24 hours a week, whether that meant 24 patients but or more, just 24 hours of kind of dedicated to, you know, all the ins and outs that go to go toward private practice, whether it's, you know, the billing and the, the note taking and, and all that stuff. Mm. So Nikki, like you guys had this vision for the private practice. How long did it even take to set up the practice and do some of that legwork before? Right. Okay. So I would say about two months between getting on the insurance panels, getting the credentialing process going, hiring a realtor, finding the right space for us to rent, and then finding a subletter to rent the extra office. It was a two office suite that we were renting. Um, so about two months to kind of get up and running. Must have been a like jam-packed two months. Yeah. And the two months was kind of prior to the six or seven months before he had passed away. So we had a good six or seven months in the private practice before he passed. Okay. So you guys were already in the private practice when he passed away. Exactly. Yes. And he had some patients of his own and I had some shared patients and and unfortunately had to refer everyone out. And our patients didn't know that we were married. I was still using my maiden name in the practice at the time. And so after he died, having to call people and be like, I'm so sorry, the doctor passed away. I have to refer you. And some of the unknowingly insensitive remarks, like, I can't believe this. The first time I found a really great psychiatrist and then he dies. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it really sucks. But, you know, I kind of had to do my best to keep my cool in situations like that. Yeah, I can't. It was, it was, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I did it. I don't know how you did either. Like you just saying that, I just, I don't know. I found myself like, I don't know, like getting like, like overwhelmed, you know, because you're trying to like contain your own sadness and grief. And then you're trying to be a business owner. And yes. And then there is this other piece of at least it sounds like some clients may not have realized you guys were married. So right. how did you, you said like in that moment, you had no idea, but like looking back, like how did you even manage that to hold that grief and then still, you know, let patients know? I think that, you know, the, those first couple of weeks after you're in this kind of, and I think this applies to any loss that we might experience in life, right? There's this complete surreality or this complete fog that you're in. And it's just, you're taking one step in front of the other and, and nothing quite feels real. And is this my new reality? And, and so I think it was almost like, it felt like autopilot, right? Yeah. Right. Like, it's almost like you're just doing, but always not fully aware of like what's happening kind of feeling. Yes. 
Um, it's you, kind of a disconnect, I guess. Right. Um, and we don't have to go into any details. Was this like, but did he pass away from like something health related or how? Yeah. So it was health related. It was quite unexpected, quite mm-hmm. sudden. You know, admittedly, it had a pretty extensive surgery, which he was recovering from. Mm-hmm. And the morning that he passed away, his treatment team, he passed away in the evening, but his treatment team was talking about discharging him home the next day. And then that evening he died of, you know, I won't go into all the gory details, but died of some post-surgical complications that kind of happened very abruptly and very suddenly. I guess he was waiting to get discharged, but he was still in the hospital when he passed. He was, yes, exactly. He was still in the hospital. Yeah. I don't know what it was like for you because I, I can't even like, you're going to have a hard time like putting myself in, in your shoes, you know, yeah. but you guys had the vision for this practice, which was you would take care of more of the counseling and he would do mm-hmm. medication, right? And that was sort of the dream, build this, have a two office suite, sublet one, you guys yep. would share. It was perfect. What we had was perfect. We had a perfect balance in, in between you know, uh, each of our talents, right? But mm-hmm. then we had this great balance of finding this wonderful subletter and everything was going just as it was supposed to. So after he passed, how did the vision for the practice change? So I had a few patients that I continued with. I don't know how. And then they kind of graduated within a couple months. And after that, I took almost a year and a half off. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back to private practice or if I wanted to do something else entirely. I continued to work at the psychiatric hospital I was working at, which was helpful in kind of providing that regular structured routine that I needed. So he passed in July of 2013, and I think it was November of 2014 that I something clicked, and I was just like, you know what? So I guess it wasn't quite a year and a half. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to do this again. And the, I had been subletting my, my office after I left, after he passed, to someone else. So I had two subletters in that space kind of making ends meet, which was very helpful. Mm. And we ended up moving into a larger suite in the same building because there wasn't room for all three of us because uh, the person that was subletting my office had kind of grown to the point of full time and was like, we can't really split the office. So either I leave or we move into this bigger suite. And so we did that, which I think was a really good decision because it wasn't kind of walking into that same space that he and I, and walking into that dream that he and I had started together and then being reminded every day that, oh yeah, like this is the dream that we had and it's, it is no longer, right? It's amazing in many ways how things do work out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the fact you had a second subletter, the first, the fact that they, yes, I mean, yes, yes. It all worked out on this business journey. And as I just have conversations with other colleagues, like there is this element of like, I don't think it's luck, but it's just more like fate maybe, Mm -hmm. right. That's some element we can't control in this whole business journey, but somehow it seems to kind of circle and and work out and maybe it's not the straight line path we expected, but yes. To build a niche in grief and loss, particularly after the loss of a loved one, I imagine can be extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to actually build a private practice based on that niche? So unfortunately, you know, Andrew's death wasn't my first experience with death. My dad had passed away in 2006. And I remember that loss feeling very isolating. Mm -hmm. And then when Andrew passed away, again, it was just this sense of loneliness and isolation in the sense that there was nobody that I could talk to or that not that I didn't have people in in my life that I could talk to, but nobody got it. Nobody understood. Nobody, you know, was able to kind of share that perspective. And I think that was part of what drove that. It was kind of creating a safe space where grievers at any stage, whether it was a week after their loss or a year after their loss, or in some cases, 10 years after their loss, that they could come in 
and freely talk about their feelings and their thoughts and the fact that, you know, whether their grief was delayed or whether they felt like they were going crazy or needing to be, you know, validated or normal, you know, normal, that their feelings needed to be normalized in some way. Mm. And I think that's kind of what inspired it was that people need a place where they can talk about this. And unfortunately, sometimes when patients would come to my office, they would say that they'd had a previous therapist who was clearly uncomfortable talking about it and would kind of abruptly change the subject to talk about something else. And I see even in my community, in our community, I should say, of, of counselors and therapists that, that there are some that are uncomfortable talking about death and dying, right? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it boggles my mind because we all have to deal with it at some point, whether somebody dies young or old, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so you guys that are listening, Nikki's website is over at milfordgrieftherapist.com and it might be helpful to pull that website up just as we talk. So you didn't just say, I'm going to just focus on grief, right? You actually even niched a little further. Yeah. So as we're recording this, like the three big niches that you focus on are the death of a parent, survivors of suicide and young widows. Yes. Or mm-hmm. young widows and widowers. I just didn't put both. both widowers. Yep. Okay. So young widows and widowers focus on sort of those like three, like, I guess, micro niches within that niche. Sure. What was it about? Like, it sounds like each was inspired by the death of a parent I could see with dad. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Right. Young widows. We talked about this, like right before we started recording. If you don't mind me asking, like approximately like how old were you when Andrew passed away? So I was 30. I didn't realize I rem- you were that young. Yes. I remember saying the night that doctor came in and said, you know, I'm sorry, he passed. I was like, are you telling, like, eventually I got to this place where I was like, are you telling me I'm 30 and I'm a widow? I laugh now, but like, it was so mind boggling, like 30 year olds aren't widows or widowers for that matter, right? Yeah, it doesn't happen like in that sort of natural. Uh, Yes, exactly. I guess it makes sense. Like those two niches, they make sense because they're like personal. And then what made you focus on the survivors of suicide? So that's also personal. So in 2006, my dad died by suicide. Mm. And so that was a very personal. And again, these aren't things I necessarily share with my patients, but they're topics certainly that resonate on a very personal level. And again, the, the loss of my dad in the way that I lost my dad was very isolating. And there was so much guilt and shame connected to that loss and that sense of what did I do wrong or what more should I have done or uh, why wasn't I there or, you know, why didn't he reach out or all those, all those things. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like maybe this is like a constant sort of journey or day-to-day thing, but I feel like when we have niches that are so personal to Uh us, it can be like really hard to compartmentalize or both, I guess, hold our own stories and grief and all of those things while being present with clients. How do you manage to do that? Like on a day to day, is it simply sort of like making sure you don't overstress yourself with too many clients or do you take breaks? Like, how do you handle that? I think it's a combination of, you know, certainly when I returned to private practice back in at the end of 2014, I didn't immediately start seeing patients uh, in on the grief and loss spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. That I've been doing that for about two years now. So I think part of it was knowing that I was healed enough for my own losses to be able to do the work that I do. But the other piece is that because I work part-time in the emergency room, my private practice is part-time. So a typical day, I'll see four or five patients. And 
it sounds maybe strange or ironic or, you know, insert some other appropriate word here, but I actually find the work that I do so uplifting, right? And it's just such an honor that people come to my office and, and we have these conversations about how to process their loss and, and how to maintain a connection with their lost loved one, whether it's, you know, whether it's their mother, whether it's their father, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a spouse. And it's just, it's a real honor to do that work. I mean, I think it's actually the perfect word because you said it earlier that even when you were going through this process, you didn't necessarily have a place, right? Yes. And the yes. fact that you created this place and then that folks so, are willing to share. Yeah. Right? In part, it's kind of repairing my, I mean, isn't that what we all do in some ways, right? I mean, therapists or otherwise, right? We kind of repair our pasts, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe that's part of this process as well, providing a space that I didn't feel like I necessarily had. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to actually just take a step back. Uh, so with each of these niches, the death of a parent, survivors of suicide and young widows slash widowers, mm-hmm. you have quotes when you click on each of those. Oh, yes, yes. Right? I mean, they're like perfect quotes for those niches. <laughs> how Thank did you. you find them? Like, how did you decide that those would be the quotes? Like- oh, gosh. Um, so the, the Maya Angelou one on the, parent, on the parent page, that one I had come across shortly after my dad passed away. And we had our ups and downs in our relationship. But there was so much truth to that last line where she talks about no matter, I forget exactly what it is because I don't have my website right in front of me, but no matter what your relationship is with your parent, you will miss them. I have learned that you will miss them when they're gone from your life. And that's so true. However close or not close we might have been. And then remind me of the other two quotes. I think that the, the one about the widow. The uh, widows, uh, yeah, the widow one is the Genevieve Davis. Yes, yes, person. yes. Yeah, unfortunately, that book like dedicated like eight pages to young widows specifically. And the rest was kind of a broad kind of look at, at a widow's grief and widow's loss. But I think that that resonated because being a young widow or, or losing a husband or, or wife young, is it's such a unique experience, right? And it's it's obviously much more rare than someone who loses their husband when they're in their 70s or their, their wife, I should say husband or wife, when they're in their 70s, their 80s or, or whatnot. The tragedy in, in your loss, uh, a colleague actually shared very early on in my loss, she said the tragedy in your loss is, is the loss of that anticipated future, whereas the tragedy and the loss of someone who who's died in, in their 70s or their 80s, right, who's lost their spouse in their 70s or their 80s. The tragedy in that loss is that they've lost their life partner, someone that they have spent their whole entire life with, right? And that's kind of the the difference between the two, right? Yeah, I never thought of it like in that sort of way. That's such a, a good way to s- distinguish it. Yeah. I actually wanted to ask you, like even dive a little deeper. Sure. I'm just going to read like a little section of your this page for Young Widows. You write so well. And oh, thank you. I, I don't know, it's just, it's like you're in the mind of somebody that would go through it. I'm going to stop talking. I'm just going to read. Okay. Sure, sure. Um, I'll just read like the first couple of sentences. Like many other young widows, your husband was your best friend, your partner, your lover, your universe. Not only have you lost him, you've lost your identity. You ask yourself, my husband died. Now who am I? No matter how many supports you have, you're lonely, you feel hollow, a void that can only be filled in a room full of people. You still feel alone. No one gets you. No one understands you or your pain. You've never met anyone who's been there. And you write like even more extensively in this page, but I don't know, how did you find these words? Because that's how I felt. 
I think we're both part of this community, right? Uh, the business school boot camp, right? Right. And Kelly and Miranda talk about, you know, the authentic, the ATP. I, I forget now what it stands for, but really connecting with who you're writing to, right? And so I think maybe partly I was connecting with myself and writing that, right? And, and I know I've met both my personal journey and my professional journey in this area. I've met many other young widows and who have kind of shared that same sentiment about just feeling so alone and feeling like nobody gets it and not knowing which way to turn, where to find somebody that you can talk to that's going to understand what you're going through, right? People who've been divorced, it's, you know, it's a different kind of loss, right? Not, I'm not trying to minimize the pain, right? It's just different, right? So you might have a girlfriend that, that you confide in about, you know, being a widow and it's just, they don't get it. It's just a different loss, right? And just I think like you don't get their loss, right? Because right. a divorce is different than being widowed. Right. And I think part of what we have to do on our websites is one, I think, distinguish the subtleties in those losses and then speak to one person in one one situation versus. And I think that's, you know, also when I think of every other, every widow or widower that I've worked with, right, just Mm -hmm. because they have this loss, right, this kind of shared loss, so to speak, it doesn't mean that there's anything universal about that experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like you say, it's it's such an individual experience, whether it's the way the spouse died or the relationship, what the relationship looked like before the spouse died, whether there were children involved or not. Yeah, no, absolutely. I didn't get a chance to like fully explore some of mm-hmm. the, the posts and stuff, but do you ever like write content based on those kind of like subtleties like that? Like, no. So that's, that's a plan. I need to get into blogging. Kelly and Miranda have told me that and multiple colleagues have been like, you need to start blogging more. And I just, uh, I have a blogging block that I need to work through, but I think those are great topics to, to write about. Yeah. Well, yeah. for what it's worth, you write extremely well. Thank you. Thank and you. We and uh, you know, actually the Mac actually has built in transcription. So you could actually just speak and now that I've got my fancy headphones. Yeah, and actually you don't even need them. Do you okay. uh, yeah, they're all I'll uh, show you it actually has uh, dictation built right in. Nice. Yeah. I wanted to shift and wrap up with two kind of questions, which are the first one is what are the top three ways that you market this niche? So I would say that funeral homes are a good referral source. Hospice has been also a good referral source. So when people kind of graduate out or phase out because they only have a a certain length of time that they can continue to receive services uh, at the hospice where their spouse died, that's one place. And also some assisted living uh, communities have reached out. Maybe one spouse lives in uh, their own independent apartment, but the other spouse is on, you know, the dementia unit um, or in the skilled nursing facility with some sort of chronic debilitating life-threatening illness. And the spouse is coming to kind of find ways to, you know, cope. And are there ways that we can kind of anticipatorily grieve, right, the loss of a partner? Well, when you reach out to these, like when you go to the funeral home or the, you know, or the assisted living facility, I mean, do you just go in with business cards or do you say like, do you do a presentation? Like, how do you? So I have sent letters um, similar to other therapists who have sent letters to like primary care offices. And I've offered to do, nobody's taken me up on it, unfortunately, like lunch and learns, right? To come in and talk and bring in some food and have a conversation about what I do and what I might have to offer. But and in one case, uh, one of the assisted livings uh, had actually reached out to me through a colleague because they connected with with another colleague who pri- primarily specializes in kids and teens. And they had asked her if she was uh, interested in doing some sort of you know grief support group for people who were struggling with losing a family member, whether it was a you know parent, spouse, adult, child, etc. And she said, you know what, I'm not the right person for you to talk to, but let me send you Nikki's way. And so that's how 
one of those referral sources came to be. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I think one of the things I, I love about how you're marketing is you didn't just say, you know what, I, I work with grief and loss and I'm just going to throw these letters out into the right, room. Right, right. Throw them it's out. It's offering now. something in return. Yeah. yeah, right. And you focused on, you thought about who are the people that are already in front of my ideal clients. Exactly, exactly. Right, instead of like randomly going to, you know, like, I don't know, a pediatrician is probably not. Right, right, right. Or even a primary care office. Right. I mean, I guess people might come in, you know, asking for support or direction, but not right. as, it wouldn't be as common. Yeah, no, absolutely. As we wrap up, what would you say is the number one advice that you would give to someone who wants to create a private practice that's focused on grief and loss? I think it would be that, you know, knowing that grief and loss is not, or grief period, is not a neat and tidy process. And so if you're approaching or conceptualizing grief as this neat and tidy five stages that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, that, you know, I would encourage someone to kind of go out and explore other frameworks. So anything related to meaning making, the uh, also the, the four tasks of mourning, the dual process model of grief. There's lots of other frameworks out there that are so much better at explaining and predicting even the grief process. Certainly, you know, we don't go through these kind of like I said, neat and tidy stages of, you know, first the the, the denial and the bargaining and, and then the, the depression and the anger. And I'm not just, it's not to say that we don't experience those things, but again, it, it's not in a, a neat and tidy sequential process. That's just not grief. And that's not the human experience period, right? Yeah. It's not like uh, you come to resolution and then it just goes away. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was just having this conversation with a girlfriend recently about how losses continue to haunt, right? Years can go by, right? And even sometimes I have moments missing my dad, like on Father's Day, right? Or a random day that he pops into my head and it just, it never goes away, right? I function certainly, and I'm not in that acute stage of grief, certainly, but you know, the the loss will always be with me, just like it will be with anyone else who's ever lost anyone in their life. Right. Nikki, this is really my last question. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. It's such an interesting niche, and I and like I'm very curious. So you mentioned a number of like trainings, and if you could think of like one particular training or even seminar or model that's been really helpful for you, what would you say that one you is? Know, I would say that if someone could go to a conference for the weekend, uh, there's this uh, organization called ADIC, the Association of Death Education and Counseling. I've been a few times and I've actually presented on the topic of young widowhood there. And it's an amazing organization and they have so many resources and they draw from, they draw participants from so many different aspects of whether it's psychotherapy or psychiatry or uh, even a funeral home, for example, that was offering a support group. I've met some really great people and learned so much from the organization. So that would be the the one thing off the top of my head that I might recommend. And that's partly where I learned about a lot of these different frameworks for understanding grief. Yeah, no, that definitely we'll put that in the show notes, which yeah. you can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session dash one six eight. Um, Nikki, thank you so much for doing this. I I uh, know this was a hard topic to talk about, but I know that a lot of our colleagues are going through seasons like this and yes. I'm just so grateful for you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Hey there, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nikki. And particularly if you're in a season of loss, I hope that today's podcast session has been uh, just encouraging for you. I think when I was thinking about recording this session, I, I was thinking about the questions and I just kept thinking, man, I, I know that there's a lot of our colleagues in the field that are really struggling through loss. And I uh, just wanted to more than anything, create this session to just to be able to support them. 
Nikki mentioned a number of resources and tips, and you can find all of that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session dash 169. We actually added the dash more recently just to, actually not sure why, but we added the dash. So you can again find uh, all of the information. And Nikki's website is again over at milfordgrieftherapist.com. Um, as I was reflecting on this conversation with Nikki, I just wanted to actually highlight one thing uh, one more time, which is Nikki didn't just focus on creating a practice with grief and loss, but she actually niched down one more. And this is a pattern that I have noticed in my own business journey and then also with lots of conversations with um, a lot of our colleagues on these podcast episodes is that the ones that do particularly well with niching, they don't niche to one level, they actually niche to a second level, and even sometimes even beyond. So that they're not trying to serve everyone, but they're actually serving one unique type of client. And even when they write content on their website, they're speaking to that one specific type of client. So for example, Nikki is not trying to speak to everyone that has grief and loss, but she's, for example, just speaking to the young widow or the young widower. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner. For therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and an investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met. And you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Turning Point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get $200 off any of your any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your day. And thanks again. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy. 
um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.